when the Apostle Paul heard the report from Epaphras, he rejoiced, his heart was full of joy. Epaphras had told him of their faith in Christ Jesus, of their love for the saints and their hope laid up in heaven, which led to him praying for them and asking, Colossians 1 verse 9, asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is how Christians are enabled to walk worthy of the Lord. This is how Christians are enabled to produce fruitful good works and to have strength under all patience and long-suffering. There's an emphasis here on this word a joyfulness. Verse 11. Joyfulness. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. True joy is not dependent on what happens each day. True joyfulness is not about your immediate circumstance. It's often difficult. Very trying. But rather, true joy comes uh, from knowing. From knowing God. Knowing His will and experiencing His power. You come to know from reading his word, from studying it, from receiving his wisdom, uh, that God is God, that he is working out his purpose. You know that you can trust him in all things. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the saints at Philippi, And writing when he was a prisoner, a prisoner on trial for his life, for his witness for Christ Jesus. He wrote, Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The apostle was was given a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 which he described as the messenger of Satan, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. He had pleaded with the Lord three times to be delivered from that thorn in the flesh. 
But what was he told there? Second Corinthians 12 verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is not some form of dry stoicism. This is the confidence that our God is powerful. That our God is working out his purpose. We can, indeed we must trust him. And in this context, in Colossians chapter 1, the apostle goes immediately on to talk about the power of God in salvation, in redeeming people from sin. Our first point today is giving thanks unto God. Verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The Father has looked upon us with great grace and mercy. Now our sin, Adam's sin, rebellion, is not something which caught God unawares. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 explains that He has chosen us in Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. This great plan of redemption was no last minute reaction to a disaster that God had not foreseen. God in his eternal decree had planned that a saviour would be provided. And at what cost? We see something of the grace and mercy of the Lord after Adam and Eve sinned. They experienced guilt and the loss of fellowship with the Lord. But it was the Lord who called unto Adam. It was the Lord who provided them with the covering of animal skins. It was the Lord who gave them the gracious promise that the seed of the woman would win the victory over Satan. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks unto the Father. This is very special. If you are one of the, verse 2, faithful brethren in Christ, then you can come and give thanks unto the Father. Verse 3, God is described as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gracious privilege of the Gospel, however, is the privilege of adoption. Back there in Ephesians chapter 1, the passage there goes on to say in verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his 
will. In a natural state we are children of wrath even as others. And Adam, we are born dead in trespasses and sin. But we who are in Christ can say with confidence, Our Father, which art in heaven. How thankful we should be unto God our Father for his grace and mercy. Jesus, the day after feeding a multitude with five loaves and two fish, was asked to give a sign. Those who asked were thinking of how in the wilderness bread from heaven had been given. Jesus told them, John 6 verse 32, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He went on to explain, uh, that he came with a definite success before him. For we read John 6 verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. We are to be people filled with thanksgiving. Unto the Father for His wondrous work of grace and mercy in making us meet, making us suitable to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Secondly, let us see that we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son? The power. The power of darkness is very real. Darkness means the absence of light. But here, it's even more than that. This is a powerful darkness. This is not merely the absence of light. It is a a hatred for the light. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There is a power at work here. When he testified before King Agrippa of his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul explained, Acts 26 verse 16, that he was commissioned to be a minister and a witness to the Gentiles. And we read verse 18, that he was called to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. From the power of Satan unto God. To turn them from the power of Satan unto God. That they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. Which is in me. In Adam. In our natural state. We are not neutral. We are not neutral. We are sinners. We are rebels against the God of glory. 
We are rebels. It comes naturally to us to be selfish. It comes naturally to us to be covetousness. Not to want to do the things that are true and good. But to rebel against it. There is a spiritual battle raging. And in our natural state, we are on the side of that which is dark. Where do you think the evil imaginations of men's hearts come from? Where do you think our ability to tell lies comes from? To put on a a false front, a false picture before others. To pretend to be that which we are not. Why do you think that in our society today there is such a fierce attack on God's creative order? An attack on the fact, the undeniable fact that there are male and female. Not marriage being between one man and one woman. Why have nations so often turned to death as the answer to the problems of life? This is not something which is new in our age. This was spoken of way back there in Leviticus. Where the Israelites were sternly warned not to sacrifice their children. Leviticus 20 verse 2. Again. Thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, or that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And then in Deuteronomy 12 verse 31 we read, Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have he done, Have they done unto their gods? For even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire to their gods. It's almost unbelievable that people, people who look just like us, could do such horrendous things. But sadly, Sadly, this is where our society is at today. The power of darkness is real and is attractive to the natural man. Death seems to be the answer. We've been blessed, so greatly blessed with having intellect, to be able to think and to do, to invent, to create such amazing things. But getting drunk, getting intoxicated with drugs, switching off our higher powers, our ability to think clearly, seems to be one of the greatest pleasures that so many pursue. 
there is a certain pleasure in getting drunk or intoxicated with these things but that pleasure only endures for a season the night of partying becomes the hangover of the morning after the drugs become addictive or they alter the way you think they destroy logical reason Proverbs 13 verse 15 the way of the transgressors is hard not everybody of course is affected or attracted to those particular things there are many many areas of life where we for a season can enjoy the pleasures of sin but remember the wages of sin is always always death the wages of sin are always paid disappointed on demand wants to die but after that the judgment but this is the wonderful news of the gospel the father in grace and mercy has made us meet has made us suitable to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in Christ he has delivered us from the power of darkness dear friends if this is not you if you don't know the joy of this redemption no matter what you have done if you cry unto the Lord in repentance and faith you will be forgiven you will be taken from darkness into light and that brings us to our third point which is very simply translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 13 again. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. What a contrast, what a contrast, what a glorious contrast from the power of Satan which is so destructive. The slavery of sin is broken. Taken out of darkness and into light. This is not a change brought about by a lifetime struggle uh, to seek to do enough good things nor is it about a struggle to restrain those evil tendencies in yourself nor is it a, a lifelong pattern of acts and works of penance no it's not a works lest any man should boast this is the sovereign work of God this is being born again of the Holy Spirit as Jesus said to Nicodemus, he must be born again from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of his beloved son. This speaks to us of the realm where Christ is king. 
As John MacArthur has said, this everlasting kingdom speaks of the realm of salvation in which all believers live a current and eternal relationship with God under the care and authority of Jesus Christ. Standing before Pilate, Jesus said, My kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. Else would my servants fight. His kingdom is spiritual. And so it is, we read Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And he, and Christ, is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is the head of the church. His kingdom is spiritual. Have you bowed? Have you bowed before Jesus? Have you confessed him as Lord? His beloved Son, the beloved Son of the Father, the Son of eternal generation, is the one, verse 14, in whom we have redemption. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We're not saved, as it were, by the babe lying in the manger. We're not saved by his teaching or by his miracles as he walked about the land and ministered. It was as he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As his body was pierced, as his blood flowed out, it was then that we have redemption. The purchase price was paid. It pays the debt built up by our sins. It pays the debt of the wrath of God which we are owed. The blood of Christ sets us free. The picture is of how the Israelites were redeemed, were set free from the slavery of Egypt. As that lamb was slain and the blood was applied to the doorposts. The firstborn were delivered and then the people was set free from Egypt. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. The image of the invisible God. Men down through history have tried to imagine, to depict even what God is like. Romans chapter 1 verse 22 professing themselves to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God onto an image made like to corruptible man uh, to birds, to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts the dishonour their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. 
Amen. Isn't that the problem? We worship ourselves. We put ourselves first. We recreate God in our own image. This is a great evil. But if you want to see what God is like, come and look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the very image of God. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Is what he said. He is that special revelation of God to us. Those who deny the deity, who deny the eternal sonship of Christ, try to use verse 15 to prove their point. Verse 15 again, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. They say, look at that, he's part of creation. It doesn't say he was created. It says he was the firstborn of every creature. And even then they're ignoring the whole context. He is the creator of all things. The end of verse 16. All things were created by him. And for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. These are truly the attributes of the God of glory, the all-powerful creator. This is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, he who laid aside his glory, came, taking on himself the form of a servant, came and lived as a man, came and lived as a sinless man he came to die obedient unto death even the death of the cross he is described as the firstborn because he is preeminent he has that position he is above all and yet from that position of preeminence. He became the lowest of the low. He took that curse upon him as he hung upon a tree. He died on that cross to save his people from their sins. His body was taken and laid in that tomb. It was sealed there. The guard was placed but that tomb could not hold him. He rose in powerful triumph. And he is alive. This is our glorious Savior. This is the one who has the power to set us free from the slavery of sin, to give us new life. This is the one who has the power to enable us to go forward with patience, and long-suffering. The one who has made us meet. Made us suitable. For the glories of heaven. 
This is the one who has given us so much to rejoice in, to be joyful about. Christian faith is about joy because of God's mercy and grace towards us. Because our God is powerful. Our Saviour is a risen Saviour. We are not looking to our own strength. We are looking to the finished work of Christ Jesus. We are looking to his glorious resurrection. We are looking to the power of God who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Amen.